0: Great to see you. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Come on, let's give it up for that. That's good news. I want to welcome all of you. We are so glad that you have chosen to celebrate this incredible day uh, with us here at Seacoast. I want to welcome all of you that are joining us at one of our uh, locations, one of our campuses. I know I want to give a shout out to our West Campus because this is our 30th Easter as a church, 29 year anniversary, but we started on Easter. So, 30th Easter as a church, and Ron Hamilton, our campus pastor at the West Campus, has been with us for all 30 of those uh, Easter's, and so we're glad you guys are with us. Yeah, that's awesome, celebrate you guys over there. All of our campuses, we are glad you're, you're here, and some of you who have been to a lot of those Easter's are, are looking up here right now and going, something is different, there's usually a different guy up here, and a little bit older, a little bit less hair, uh, don't freak out, that's our founding pastor, uh, Greg and we fired him, we, we got tired of him and we just, <laughs> We moved on, I'm just kidding, we did not do that. He's, he's actually here, he's standing right over there. Let's give it up for Greg Surratt, who leads so well here, it's my dad. And what we decided to do this year is usually he wants to quit after Easter, after doing about 100 services, and so we split him up this year, and you guys got lucky. You guys drew the, the long straw this morning, and uh, he's gonna be doing a couple of them, I'm gonna do a couple of them. You know, we will end up doing, on 13 different locations, 50, that's five zero, uh, Easter services all told this year and a bunch of them will be done live and uh, so we're just excited. It's gonna be a great, great day and a great time together. gonna ask you a question as we get started? Have you ever experienced something, ha- had a moment or an experience that changed everything in your life? Any of you ever, can you think of something, an experience that you had? I was thinking about that this week and the person that came to my mind, as uh, fresh on my mind is this guy. Anybody watch the Masters last week? Uh, Sergio Garcia, right? And uh, if you know anything about golf, uh, we won't spend our whole time talking about golf, so don't tune out too much. But, but Sergio uh, has been playing for a long time. He's been a good golfer for a long time. But early on in his career, everybody thought he was gonna be one of the greatest. But over the years, he's developed a reputation as the guy that can't win the big tournament, just could never come through when it mattered the most. There are these major golf tournaments uh, that, that are the most important ones. And Sergio had played in 73 majors and hadn't won a single one. And so, Sergio's coming into the Masters and, and he's playing really well. And this had happened several times. He played really well and then he would kind of fold on the last day. Well, sure enough, Sunday in the Masters, Sergio's winning, turns around to the back nine and he starts to do what Sergio always does. He starts to fall apart. On the 13th hole, now he's down by two strokes. He drives the ball into the hazard and he has to take a, a penalty stroke and he manages to get the ball up to the green. And Sergio's facing a pretty big, putt. He's, he's got a seven and a half put, foot putt that can't win him the tournament, but if he misses it, it will almost assuredly lose him the tournament. And so he's staring down a seven foot putt. Now in the, in, the, in the PGAs, they make these putts about 53% of the time. Uh, when I play golf, I make a seven and a half foot putt 0% of the time. It's not going in when I'm playing. But, but I'm, I'm thinking, I'm watching this on TV and I'm thinking, what is going through his head as he lines up that putt? What, the, the pressure, the moment that he's under. I know what he's going through because I've, I've thought about these moments a lot. In fact, when I was growing up, my sport, as you can probably imagine, was basketball because that's the body that God gave me. And so I would spend hours and hours out in the, out in the driveway, you know, shooting, playing hoops, and I would, I would replay this scenario in my head. I wouldn't replay it. I would forecast the scenario in my head. Our team is down by one. The clock's winding down, and Serrat gets the ball, and I would, I would hear, I can still hear my voice in my head going, three, Two, one, and just at the last second, shoots it, he makes it, I immediately the, the scene in my head would go to the cheerleaders, they're going crazy. Josh, Josh, he's our man, if he can, you know, it's just this scene in my head, it's amazing. And I actually had that opportunity at the pinnacle of my basketball career, which was my 10th grade year in high school. Uh, don't laugh, you didn't do much after your 10th grade year either, all right? And we were playing our rivals, and I got the ball, we're down by one, and I have the ball, and there's about 10 seconds left. I dribble it across half court, and all of a sudden, all these memories come back in my head, and I'm thinking, this is my moment. And what do I do? I get to that moment, and, and as the time is getting ready to run out, I pass the ball to a teammate. I, I couldn't take the shot. I froze under, under pressure. And so, so I know what Sergio was thinking as he's lining up this putt, but he, he coolly and calmly, he steps up, and, and he drains this putt. And it's a moment for him that changes everything because he would... The, the momentum shifts and it turns back into his favor and, and he would go on to win a Masters golf tournament. And Sergio Garcia will never be remembered again as the guy who couldn't win the big one. He will be remembered as a Masters champion, one of the most elite clubs in, in athletics and sports. And so, so a moment that changed everything for him. And, and most of us haven't won the Masters, uh, if I was guessing, but, but, but we've had these moments that change everything. For, for you, it may be that moment that you met the person that would ultimately become your husband or your wife. And you can remember, man, in that moment, everything begun to change. It could be that moment that you had your very first child. I mean, can I get an amen? That changes everything, for better and for worse sometimes. But these, these moments, these, these moments, it could be something that somebody said to you, and that moment just froze in time, for good or for bad. Could be the moment that you got that phone call, or the day that you lost that person that you love so dearly. And you'll never forget that day, and you'll never quite be the same since then. Well, it's Easter weekend, and you're not gonna be surprised to know that we're gonna be discussing a moment in history that changed absolutely everything. Not just historically did it change everything, but, but for, for many, many people, for billions of people now through history, this one moment changed everything. And what we're gonna do today is we're gonna look at it through a little bit of a different lens, a little bit of a different angle. If you're new to Seacoast, first of all, we're glad you're here and we're so glad that uh, whether you were dragged by a friend or you're exploring your faith or you're just in town, we're glad that you chose to worship with us. Our church has been going through the Bible this year. We've been reading through the Bible in a year, the year of the word. And so our commitment has been that we're going to preach on whatever passages that we read that week. And so this past week, if you're reading the Bible in the year with us, you'll know that we didn't actually cover the resurrection story. But what we did do is we covered a story in Acts chapter two, where there was a guy who perhaps more than anybody best illustrates the difference that the resurrection made for him. It's a guy named Peter, and he boldly steps up to a hostile crowd in this moment in Acts chapter 2, and he delivers the speech of his life with with courage and with boldness. And and here's the thing about Peter, is that courage and boldness would not have described this man just a few days earlier. In fact, on the night that Jesus died, Peter was a coward. He actually betrayed his best friend on the night that he needed him the most. And, and it wasn't just that he did it, but it, Peter was one of these guys that was like, hey, just the day before, he was like, Jesus, no matter what happens, I'm with you all the way till the end. I'm your guy, you can count on me. You know, with his words, he was all in. And then 24 hours later, he caves under pressure. He abandons him, and then he gets cornered by a group of people, one of whom was a 15-year-old girl. And even to a 15-year-old girl, no offense to 15-year-old girls, but he couldn't even... He couldn't even acknowledge that he knew Jesus. He caved, he folded. Yet somehow, a couple days later, Peter finds himself in this moment and he rises to the occasion. What was the difference for him? It was the resurrection of Jesus. See, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It really does. So so here's what's happening. Uh, Jesus had died, he'd rose again. He'd now uh, revealed himself to over 500 different people. And, and the, the disciples, there were only about 120 true believers that were left. And they're gathered together in Jerusalem, and, and they have this, this church service. And it, it goes from being like a, a Baptist church service to being like way Pentecostal, like the spirit moves and, and stuff just, I mean, people are speaking in different languages. It's this crazy, crazy event. And, and people start to hear about this, and they're like, what is going on in this church service? So this large crowd begins to gather, demanding an answer. And they seem to be pretty inflammatory. They're, they're accusing them, are you guys drunk? It's only nine o'clock in the morning. What's going on, what, what, what's happening? And I imagine the disciples kind of look around and, and they're wondering, okay, now here's a moment. Who's gonna step up? Who's gonna step up and lead in this moment? And, and the man that does it is a man named Peter. And here's what he says, it says then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Notice you don't see This cowardice, it's a boldness. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. He says, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. He he says, the words that I'm getting ready to say could potentially change everything for you. Listen carefully to what I say. And I would invite you if you're here today. Many of us have heard the story of the resurrection dozens and dozens of times, maybe hundreds of times. And, 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 and you're doing the Easter thing and you're excited to be here, but, but don't gloss over it. I wanna ask you to do the same thing that Peter asked of them. Would you listen carefully for the next couple of minutes? Because I believe that the story that we're getting ready to read could drastically change everything for you. So, so let's jump into it. What, what, what can we learn? Why does the resurrection change everything? I told you the resurrection changes everything. Prove it, Josh. Why? What, what's the big deal about the resurrection? Well, let's look at a couple of things. If you have an outline sheet, you can kind of follow along, and we'll have the, the notes here on the screen as well. But the first thing that it does is it proves that Jesus is who he said he was. The resurrection proves that Jesus is who he said he was. Th- does anybody in here ever struggle with doubt from time to time? Just honestly? Okay, about four of us over here. That's great. We'll just talk to you guys. Y'all come lean in. We'll... <coughs> no, we, we struggle with doubt sometimes, don't we? Maybe you um, you read something, a, a book or an article from a skeptic, and, and, and you just wonder. I wonder if, if they're right. Could they be right about this? Maybe like me, just a couple of weeks ago, I was lying in bed and had put the kids down. We're saying our night prayers and... And, and I'm lying in bed, and I had this thought that just hit me. What if, what if all of this isn't true? I mean, and it just hit me from nowhere. And if I, if I struggle with that, I know I'm more holy than most of you in this room, if not all of you, so, so we all struggle with this from time to time. Maybe you just wonder, why hasn't God come through for me in, in this situation? Or maybe you've been reading through the Year in the Word, and, and you read some stories, and you're like, really? Like, Could a loving God be a part of this? And it kind of creates some doubts in us. Most of us encounter some form of doubts along the way. And as Peter was addressing this crowd a couple thousand years ago, there were lots of different doubters in the room. There were several types of doubters. There were some people, that they were known as the Pharisees or the leaders of the religious law, and they were just out and out skeptics. They didn't believe it. They were hostile towards it. They had dogged Jesus' entire ministry. They, They were constantly trying to trap him and they were trying to trick him. And they thought, man, the people who are buying into this are crazy. How could people fall for something like this? Maybe there's a couple of you in the room today that that, that would characterize you. You're just, you're just not sure that you buy into this. You're a skeptic. There were other people in the crowd that day who they had heard about Jesus. It's just, I mean, Israel's a, a very small country, and, and the miracles that Jesus did, they spread. People, people had heard about him, but maybe they just hadn't gotten around to checking it out. They didn't have time in their day to, to seek out what another, one of these spiritual gurus had to say, so they, they, they had those kinds of doubts. They just weren't sure, they hadn't, hadn't scoped it out. It's interesting, there were a lot of people in that crowd that day who probably had, at one point, followed Jesus. I mean, think about it, Jesus, he fed thousands of people, he healed a bunch of people, he turned water into wine. There were a lot of people that began to follow him throughout the years, but then when he died on the cross, the crowds began to dwindle. There were about 120 true believers left in this moment. So there were probably some people in the crowd that were going, man, I I, I wanna have hope. I wanna believe that this could be something here. But there were a lot of different doubters that were there. What, What did Peter say to him? Look what he said. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves already know. Remember, small country, you already know. You know about Jesus, you've heard about him. This is who I'm talking about right now. And then he says, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. (coughs) That's interesting. By God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. In other words, the the crucifixion, Good Friday, that wasn't a surprise to God. God. God had this in mind at all times. You know, we talk about a God who is omniscient, that means that he knows everything. How many of you would agree it's hard to surprise an omniscient God? There was never a day that, that God woke up and thought, man, I did not know that was gonna happen. That's good news for us, because that means if it's not a surprise to God, it may be a surprise to us, but he's already at work on a solution. And maybe you're here today, and, and you're experiencing a Good Friday kind of a moment. A surprise, you didn't see it coming. You didn't know, but I just wanna encourage you that there's a resurrection coming. That God already had this in mind. He says, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. There's that boldness again. He says, but God raised him from the dead. Most important line of this verse. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. See, that's the most important part. God raised him from the dead. You know, if that's true, it changes everything. It changes everything. You know, there's a movie that came out uh, this week called The Case for Christ. Did anybody see The Case for Christ? A sweet couple of you guys. Cool thing is that the song that all of our campuses sang together right before the message, uh, I-, I Believe in You, was a song that was written and is on the soundtrack for The Case for Christ, which is kind of cool. Our band, uh, our team wrote it just a couple of months ago and, and did a great job with it. But went to see that movie this week. And if you haven't seen it, it's a movie, a great movie, especially if you struggle with doubt. It's about a, a, guy, a guy named Lee Strobel. Lee was an investigative journalist with the Chicago Tribune, uh, and he was an award-winning journalist, and it did, did, was very, very good professionally, but he also was a professing atheist. And he had made up his mind he was going to raise his family as atheists. His wife and him were on the same page. and then one day, his, his uh, daughter had some health challenges, and, and through that, his wife met a woman who led her to Christ, and she became a believer. In Christ. And as you can imagine, it rattled his world. He was like, I, I cannot believe that you're buying into this, this story, this myth of Jesus. And he did whatever he could to try to help her and help her see that, that this wasn't true, but it wasn't working, and his wife was really growing in her faith, and so it rattled him. And so here's what he decided to do. He said, I'm an investigative journalist. He got approval from his uh, superiors at the Chicago Tribune to do a, an investigative piece to discredit and disprove Christianity. And, and so he began this journey to research and figure out how to, how to disprove this, mainly because he wanted to help his wife to see the truth. And so, brilliant guy, he began to meet with historians, and he thought that the best way to, to discredit Christianity is to, to prove that the resurrection didn't happen, because if the resurrection didn't happen, everything else is a house of cards. And so he, he meets with these historians, and he's trying to disprove the the way that the Bible was written, and, and it's a dead end for him, it's a closed door, because many, many different historians told him and showed him that, hey, that actually the Bible is the most reliable piece of history that we have from that entire time period. The way that it was captured, the number of different eyewitnesses and accounts of it, and the way that they've been preserved, it's, it's true. I mean, the, the, it was written as it, as it happened back in that day, so okay. Well, maybe the people that were living in that day didn't get it. So he began to meet with some psychologists and psychiatrists to, to figure out, is there any way that a large group of people, remember 500 people had seen him, firsthand accounts of the resurrection. Is there any way that there was this mass illusion that they, they saw something that wasn't actually there? And so he meets with the psychologist and after a long conversation and looking at the evidence, she told him, you know what, it would be a greater miracle for 500 people to have missed this than it would be for him to have risen from the dead. It's it, that's not what it was, and so he says, "Okay, maybe, maybe Jesus never died. <coughs> could that could that be the case? Maybe they put him in the grave, but he was still alive, and he he ca- he came out, and and, and it was a, a big trick. And so he met with the the best medical doctors and scientists in the world, and they looked at the account of his thirty-nine lashes and him hanging on the cross, and." And these doctors looked at him and said, there is no possible way. In fact, when Jesus was uh, stabbed with a spear on the cross, and you remember there was blood and water, that was proof that the, his lungs had filled with water, that he had asphyxiated, he was, he was dead. There's no way that he didn't die. And so he's looking at all these angles and trying to discredit and, and prove that Christianity's not false. And what happened as a result is he came to faith and he gave his life to Christ and it changed everything for him. Because if the resurrection really happened, It changes everything. And now Lee Strobel, I met him actually at one of our church plants, Ernest Smith planted out in Castle Rock and he's now a pastor. Uh, Both of his children who he was raising as atheists are now in ministry and, and it's radically changed his life forever. So what about you? Where are you at with that? Maybe you came in today with some kind of doubt. It might just be a nagging thought that hits you from time to time. Maybe you have some serious questions. Really wrestling with some stuff as it relates to your faith. Let your doubts take you back to the fundamental question. Did he or did he not raise from the dead? And don't just take my word for it, research it. It's not just the Bible that claims this. History says Jesus raised from the dead. It's a historical fact. And if that happened, which it did, then it changes everything. You may not understand everything else. None of us really ultimately do. We're all gonna have some questions at the end of the day, but if Jesus rose from the dead, it proves that he was who he said that he was. Second thought for us, if Jesus rose from the dead, it gives us hope even on our worst days. It gives us hope even on our worst days. You know, uh, the the, the reality is is that this life brings about some challenges, brings about some hard days, and some of us are going through them right now. Look what Peter said. (coughs) <coughs> it's interesting, because Peter's talking about, he's talking to a group of people who are Jewish, and he knows that their hero is David in Acts chapter two. That, that, I mean, everybody, you go to Israel, everybody knows King David was, was a hero, and so he leans into something that they would be interested in, and he says, even David said about Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. In other words, even on my worst days, I won't be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. <coughs> and, and this is David, David that's talking. And so uh, Peter's quoting the Old Testament king and, and he, he shows them that, hey, David wasn't talking about himself. He was actually talking about Jesus who was to come. David was not only a king, but he was a prophet. See what he says, he explains it. He says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died. He was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. (coughs) He says, friends, even David predicted this. And because Jesus has raised from the dead, we won't be shaken. See, if the story ends on Good Friday, it's a drastically different story, isn't it? It's a story that ends with Peter allowing his fear to cause him to desert his best friend, and perhaps that's what Peter would be known for, is the guy that caved under pressure. If the story ends on Good Friday, you've got a a mom who is grieving the loss of her son. If the story ends on Good Friday, you've got a whole group of people who had put their hope and their faith in this man, and now all of a sudden, it's all crumbled underneath him. But the story doesn't end on Good Friday. There's a resurrection coming, and because there's a resurrection coming, even on my worst day, I can have hope. That that Jesus is alive and that if he came out of the grave, so can he raise up those things that are dead in my own life. You know, because of the resurrection, your story doesn't end on your worst day. It may be Friday for some of you, but let me encourage you, Sunday's coming. There's a resurrection that's coming. I want you to to listen to the story of a couple here in our church who found hope in the resurrection on their worst day. Day. would you take a look at this?
1: Sarah and I met in a online chat room. As we chatted over time, you know, we started to learn more about each other. You know, uh, like the fact that I lived in Houston, Texas, and she lived in Sault Ste. Marie, Canada, which is, you know, a good 1,400 miles distance. But we decided, hey, you know, why don't we actually meet? We decided that I would fly up there and meet her and visit her up there under the watchful eye of her parents. There was a point, uh, you know, several months later where we decided, hey, you know, we we love each other and maybe we ought to do something about this. So by April of 2000, we were married. So after Moira was born in uh, 2004, you know, we made a decision to continue to grow our family. And Peyton was born on uh, May 15th, uh, 2006. You know, she's a beautiful baby girl. While everything seemed like it was going really well uh, within a couple of hours everything turned around
2: an older woman walked into the room and she was kind of a stern older looking woman who i didn't know at the time um, was a pediatric ophthalmologist and she was reviewing some notes and she simply asked me if anyone had told me whether or not they expected this child to live and i just Looked at her confused because I had no idea that there was anything so significant going on with my child that there was any question of whether or not she'd
1: live or die at this point. Peyton had, you know, impaired vision, impaired hearing, she couldn't hear because of nerve issues. Um, she had a heart murmur, she had hip dysplasia, uh, and, and worst of all, she had a uh, Uh, parts of her brain the cerebral cortex was underdeveloped. uh.
2: I was very overwhelmed by all of the responsibility that was coming with Peyton. All of the needs that she had were just more than one person could handle and her care was really round-the-clock care at this point and we didn't have outside help and I was just uh, just overwhelmed and beyond stressed, and I I didn't know what to do. And in a conversation that I had with one of the moms at Maura's daycare, she told me that she thought that I could use some God in my life, and she invited me to come to church with her family. When we got to Seacoast, the whole experience was unlike anything that I'd ever had in my church-going life. It was so different, and uh, At the same time, it was something that I got so much out of, and I felt like somehow that this was where I needed to be, and the message was just something that I truly needed to hear. After the service, the mom that I went with, she took us uh, into the nursery area, where at the time, um, they had the one-by-one special needs ministry. I was just amazed because it was this place where children with special needs could go during a service time and be loved on and cared for and hear God's word at their own level or in some way just by being loved on by the people in that room.
1: The, the benefits of One by One were felt immediately. You know, first we, you know, it was the first real opportunity in our lives to, to start going to church together as a family, uh, all four of us.
2: It really helped to set us up for the point in time where we really were going to need God the most in our lives, which was uh, when she became very ill around March of 2013, and she wound up in the hospital for the last time. My mother's intuition was just telling me that something was very different about this hospital stay.
1: You know, we felt like there was just, you know, hurdle after hurdle you know, her condition just kept getting worse and worse and and maybe like this area might improve a little bit, but then another issue would come up. And I remember, you know, taking a little walk with Sarah, you know, around the hospital and just really, you know, having that very difficult discussion of, you know, do, you know, do we, do we let Peyton go?
2: There was no way that was going to be improving, and if somehow she improved, she probably wouldn't improve enough to come home. And if there was a greater miracle than that, you know, what would her condition be like? We talked about it, prayed about it, and we we did make that decision that it was time to let her go. I had this image in my head of the moment that she passed away that she's just running into the arms of Jesus. And that brings me hope.
1: In more ways than I can say, she has impacted us forever mm-hmm. in a positive way. We are better people because of Peyton. We, we ended up at Seacoast because of mm-hmm. Peyton.
2: One day we will be reunited, all of us. So I find hope in that.
0: Such a a difficult story, they walk through something that none of us would ever wish on anybody. But what what I love about the Fontenot story and having walked with them uh, through this is that even on their darkest day, even in those moments, they have hope. It's not just wishful thinking. I love that picture, that image that she has of Peyton running and walking and being able to do the things that she'd never been able to do. That's not just wishful thinking, that's hope that is anchored in the resurrection. That's hope that is anchored in in promise, a promise that God made us. Look what uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who also, who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. See, that's the hope that we have because of the resurrection. Maybe you're here today and in the last year you've lost somebody. And the pain is unimaginable. And let me tell you, this doesn't mean we don't grieve. This doesn't mean we don't cry. We don't have really hard days. It just means that as we do that, we look forward and we look ahead to a hope that my worst day isn't my last day because of the resurrection. That there's hope for a future. See, because Jesus rose from the dead, it proves that he was who he said he was. It also gives us hope, even on our worst day. One more thought for us as we close. It requires a life-changing response. It requires a life-changing response. So the crowd that day listened to Peter as best as he could explain the fact that Jesus was God, that he was crucified, but that he rose from the dead. And look at the response of the people. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Okay, I, I, I believe this, what, what, what do I do now? See, the resurrection requires a response. Not everything requires a response, does it? I'm grateful that every post on Facebook doesn't require a response. Uh, some of us need to learn that. Um, but the resurrection does. The resurrection does. Look what C.S. Lewis said. He said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. It can't be moderately important. It demands, it requires a response. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody where you're telling them something that that you think is really important, and they just kind of shrug their shoulders and move on? It's like, wait, no, 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 this is a big deal. You can't just shrug your shoulders at the resurrection. It demands a response. The people listening to Peter that day didn't just walk away. The resurrection required a response. What should I do? Brothers, what should I do? Let's answer that question real quick. How should I respond to the resurrection? First thing, believe that Jesus is who he said he was. That's a response that's required of us. Believe that Jesus is who he said that he was. This is how Paul said it in Romans. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple. If you declare with your mouth. That's why I love the story that we heard before the message of Laura received Christ on a Saturday night at Seacoast and immediately went to Facebook and just, she had to tell people. She had to put it out there. Declare with your mouth and believe in your heart that that Jesus raised from the dead, that he's Lord then you'll be saved. It doesn't say you have to have all your questions answered. It doesn't say that you have to have your life together, get all cleaned up before you can come to him now. In fact, the Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It doesn't say that you have to respond like everybody else, but it does say that you have to respond. Simple faith, just believe that Jesus raised from the dead. You know, we don't know how many people were there that day. There were probably some that walked away unaffected and unchanged. But we do know that 3,000 people that day said, you know what, I'm choosing to believe. You know, I'm reminded of my own story. I grew up in this church. My dad started the church, and I've heard this story countless times. But for the first 18 years of my life, I shrugged my shoulders and I walked away. And there came a moment for me as a freshman in college that I had to make this decision for myself. And maybe you've grown up in church and your parents have always believed, well, we can't live on our parents' belief. We have to make the decision for ourselves. And so in a moment, in a small group here at Seacoast, I decided, you know what, I believe. I believe that this is true. And it changed everything about my life. I began to, to gather with another group of believers to explore my faith. I began to serve in the church. And ultimately, I ended up pursuing a, a, a life called into ministry and, and all of that was because I chose to believe and if you'll make that decision, that you believe that he is who he says he is, it'll change everything for you. Gotta believe. Second thing that we have to do, second response. Personally receive the hope that he gives. Personally receive it. Some of us may need that hope today. I'm reminded of the movie, The Case for Christ. There was this moment where Lee Strobel was interviewing a, a fellow researcher and, He had assumed that he was also an agnostic or an atheist. And at at one point, this guy looks at him and he says, you know, I was just like you at one point until my wife got diagnosed with cancer. And in the two and a half year journey that she battled cancer before she passed away, I found faith and I found hope because I needed hope. And the truth of the resurrection allowed me to receive the hope that I'll see my wife again. Some of us need to do that today, receive That hope, how do I do it? Look what Peter said after they asked that question. He replied, repent, which basically means turn away from your sin and be baptized. Baptism is the first step of a life in Christ. It's the first act of obedience. And next weekend at all of our campuses, we're gonna be doing a baptism. Your campus pastor will tell you about that in a few minutes. Says every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the personal presence of God. He lives in you every day. He gives you boldness when you feel inadequate. He advises you when you're confused. He comforts you when you're grieving. Respond by believing that Jesus is who he said he was, by receiving the hope personally and then lastly, by becoming the person that I was created to become. Become the person I was created to become. Who were you created to become? To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God wants to be your father. God wants to heal your hurts. You know, many of us, we're still living in, a, in an old identity. You know, we're defined by our failure or by uh, shame or guilt or something we've done or a way that we've fallen short. and, And God's saying, no, 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 that's not your identity anymore. You need to live out of a new identity. You are not who you once were. You are a new creation. You're a daughter of mine. You're a son of mine. You're a child of God. Some of us need to embrace that identity today, become a child of God. So what are you gonna do with the resurrection? Are you gonna walk away today the same as you came in? unchanged, unconvinced? Or are you gonna do like 3,000 people did on that day? Say, I believe, I believe, Lord, what do you want me to do now? Would you pray with me as we close? (coughs) Father, I thank you so much that today we gather with millions of other believers to celebrate the reality and the truth that you came out of the grave, that you rose from the dead. God, today we choose to believe that. God, we thank you, Lord. I pray, Lord, for those of us that are maybe dealing with doubts today, that you would help anchor that truth into the depths of our soul, that we would be anchored by it, God, that we would be unmoved by anything else because of the reality that you came out of the grave. Lord, that we'd be able to receive your hope that you offer. I pray for my friends who are here today and going through a difficult time. Maybe it's a loss of a loved one or a divorce or financial challenges. God, we just want to receive the hope that the that story doesn't end today because the story didn't end on Good Friday. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would lead each of us into a response. Lord, that we would, we would sense your presence, we would sense your direction, that we would respond as you're calling us to do. We ask these things and we celebrate this day in Jesus' name, amen, amen.